Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Father, we bless you. Lord, we say thank you. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Father, we're compelled to worship you, for you are good. You are so good. Lord, we come to give you glory. Why don't you just take a few minutes just to think, even just take um, the opportunity to thank him for three things. Think of three things you could thank him for. The, the scripture tells us that we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. Have you got three things that you could just privately, personally say thank you to God for right now? Thank you, Jesus. Wow, thank you, Daddy. Oh, God, we're so grateful. Thank you, Father. Oh, hooray. You know, I'm watching as you're doing that, and I'm seeing so many smiles come across faces. Because when you start to remember the goodness of the Lord, when you're feeding on his faithfulness, the result is a provocation to worship. He's so smart. God is so smart. He knows exactly how to help us. No matter what circumstance you might be in, no matter how you might be feeling, God knows that when you go back to Thanksgiving, everything comes back into perspective. Hallelujah. So we thank you, Father. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. I wanna share with you a few things that the Lord has put on my heart tonight. Last night, we came home yesterday morning, hallelujah. And uh, so, praise the Lord, shaka masanda. I, I slept well, I'm well rested, hallelujah. And um, not jet lagging, hallelujah. Thank you, Daddy, our faithful God. Last night, as I was uh, starting to go to sleep, I heard the Lord speak to me so clearly and remind me of the scripture here in Acts 16. It's the story of when Paul and Silas were in prison and they'd been thrown in prison for seeing a young girl delivered from a demon. People were so upset because this girl was no longer fortune telling and they were no longer making money out of her demonic possession. So they threw them in prison. They were beaten, they were bleeding, they were wounded. They were shackled together in the depths of the prison. And so they decided to give thanks and to worship God. They began to praise him, they began to bless him. Instead of grumbling and complaining, they began to celebrate, to worship him, and just honor him, to worship him, to lift him up. And the atmosphere in the prison became so supernaturally charged that there was an earthquake. The prison shook, all the chains fell off. I'm telling you, an earthquake does not make shackles fall off your hands, hallelujah. Supernaturally, all the shackles fell off, the doors burst open, and the jailer, 
assuming that everybody would have escaped, went to go and kill himself. But before he could do it, I mean, this is remarkable. We can read this and sometimes become over-familiar with it, but think about this. This jailer, about to kill himself, Paul says, hey, don't, don't do that. We are all still here. Why are you still here? Why haven't you run away? Because they were so in love with God, that was not, the first thing on their mind was not ex escaping their circumstance. They were worshiping God for his goodness, hallelujah. And then the, the, the uh, jailer comes running in and he sees that they're all still here. Let's pick it up in verse 30. So he brought them out, he was trembling, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And it was those words last night as I was going to sleep, what must I do to be saved, that just rang and rang through my head and wouldn't let me go. What must I do to be saved? You know, this is a question we need to be able to answer. And a lot of the time we have overcomplicated it. We've said, well, this, 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 and this. So I looked it up this morning as I woke up. I went to study it and said, okay, what was their answer? This guy comes in, what do I need to do to be saved? What, is, what do they say? Verse 31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, I thought about that. I read that this morning again. I went, surely and the rest. Now, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You know, okay, yes. And, and that question of what must I do to be saved is something that is really challenging. You know, we can read elsewhere in scripture that about the sheep and the goats. Anybody growing up listened to Keith Green and the sheep and the goats and you, you didn't visit me in prison, you know. You, you, didn't, you didn't talk to me when I was lonely or when I was sick or when I was hungry, didn't feed me. And, and so we think, okay, well I have to be saved and I have to have a prison ministry and I have to do this and I have to do that to make sure that I don't go to hell, can sometimes be our mentality. But then we think, well, what do I do with scriptures like that? What do I do with the Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we healed the sick in your name? Like, what about that God? Well, okay, now we've got to know you intimately. That, okay, okay, so tick, 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 tick. We, we start to add all these things. And yet, here in scripture, it tells us that when this guy comes running in, He's not told, okay, set up a prison ministry, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and you'll be saved. So what is this all about? Does anyone else have any understanding of this dilemma that I was going through? Now, I know we've got to come back to the simplicity of Christ, but I love the way this is so beautifully brought out in the scripture. I believe the answer to our question lies here in the following scripture. 
We read in 31 that he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night, washed them of their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. I believe what's being said here is that by engaging immediately in baptism, what he was doing was he was agreeing with what Jesus Christ had done. He was coming into agreement with who Jesus was in that he was identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what we're doing is we are believing in the Redeemer. We're believing that Christ became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saying, I believe that Jesus became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. And to be saved, I need to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. When we're baptized, we are identifying with that death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. It tells us um, in Romans 4, verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Hallelujah. In that when we come to Christ and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're believing that this is what you've done. This is the simplicity of what you've done. You have become sin so I could become righteous. It's not of works, hallelujah, that I'm saved, but by grace, through faith, I'm saved. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, hallelujah. Scripture also tells us in Romans 1, that 116, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, they've said, they're telling him, believe on the Lord Jesus, that he has died, he became sin, so you could become righteousness. He's been raised to life so that you, together with him, united with him in the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection, have also been raised up to new life. You have been saved from death to life by recognizing and agreeing with who he is. Hallelujah. The fear that we have in preaching the gospel of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as a simple, basic, this is what salvation looks like, is that we would then be suggesting that it's okay, you just pray this prayer and you're right, live as you like. We're afraid that people will go on sinning. But the truth is that when we actually believe that Jesus became sin so that I could become righteousness, what happens is we, as we identify with his death 
and his burial and his resurrection. When we believe that it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us, that I was crucified with him, buried with him, raised up with him, we begin to recognize that, hallelujah, I'm not who I was, but this is who I now am. As he is, so am I in this world. In recognizing and believing that, we then have power to live like him. In the book of James, it tells us that if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's because he's like a man who looked in the mirror and then walked away and forgot what he looked like. In order to have people live as the righteousness of God, what we must be doing is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they remember what has happened, so that they remember and enter into daily the joy of their salvation that thank God I was set free from me. That even if I sin, I have an advocate, hallelujah, who doesn't then call me unredeemed, but says, hey, come to me. I confess your sin and I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, hallelujah. I am the one who sets you free from sin. I am the one who has made you a new creation. You're no longer defined by your sin. You are defined by my righteousness. I've then often been looking at you know, scriptures like in Galatians when it says, you know, it lists different sins and says those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of God. And so my flesh sometimes goes, right, well we have to really teach people not to do those things because those people who do those things won't enter the kingdom of God. But in fact, I believe the Lord is telling us and helping us to recognize that if you, you know, lists among those jealousies, contentions, does it mean then that if you are jealous, that bang, you've disqualified yourself, you lose, you go to hell now. Sometimes we can read it and interpret it like that. Has anyone ever seen that? Well, you've engaged in contention. That must mean You've just now been disqualified. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is not enough. Now, bang, you did that, so therefore. Yet it, it flies in the face of the book of Romans. So what, what is it, God? Is it this or is it that? If we remember what Jesus has done, then instead of being defined by our sin and becoming somebody that is continually engaging in sin, we recognize and remember, oh, thank God, that's not who I am. Okay, I might have been jealous, but thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry, I recognize that. Thank you, God, that you set me free from that, that I am no longer defined by sin. I am defined by righteousness. And your grace and your forgiveness is greater than I feel I deserve. It takes faith to actually live believing that you are clean, that you are forgiven. It takes faith to believe. In fact, it's easier to feel like if I can earn it and do well, then at least I've got some sort of you know, good feeling about having this salvation. But true salvation requires true humility. That is daily reckoning myself dead, thank you God. Thank you, God, that you are better than I feel I deserve, that your grace for me today and your mercies are new every morning, that you are kinder and you are better 
than I could ever understand or fathom. It tells us this in Romans 6. I love Romans 6. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Hooray! Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Hallelujah. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So when you sin, instead of feeling like, oh no, now I'm a sinner. No, no, you became a saint. You haven't gone back to being a sinner. You sinned, you recognized that was wrong, but that's not my identity. Thank you, Jesus, I've been freed from sin. I'm no longer one who is gonna have to pay for that sin. I'm forgiven and I'm empowered not to do it again. Hallelujah. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. This is what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to reckon ourselves in agreement with him, to have been crucified with him, to have been buried with him, to be raised up with him, hallelujah, to be seated with him in heavenly places above all principalities and powers. Whenever we get tempted into thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough, I've disqualified myself, we go, thank God that I am the just who lives by faith, not the just who lives by feelings. Thank God that he is better than I feel like I deserve. Thank you, God, today that as I reckon myself dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ, I can take absolutely no glory in His goodness and His salvation. And I can celebrate today. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and that I died with you. Thank you today that my, even if my heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart. Hooray! If we start preaching to people, this is how you get saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we help them remember every day, this is who you are. You are dead and he is alive. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Then Christ in us, as we remember, as we reckon ourselves dead, will empower us to not only be hearers of the word, but doers. We'll be remembering that as we read the Bible, instead of it being, oh, there I'm disqualified, oh, there I'm disqualified, that, hey, I'm actually no longer in the equation. It's Catherine died. And Christ now lives in Catherine. 
Oh, so I'm not one of these ones that's disqualified by this list. Thank God that I'm not somebody who is, is practicing this stuff. I'm practicing righteousness and holiness. And even if I've failed in one point, thank God that I don't have to pay for my sin because I reckon myself dead indeed. I, I, that when he died, when he took sin, when he became sin, I became righteousness. Hallelujah. This is Gospel 101, basic. But you see, the thing is, I believe sometimes we get, we ourselves can complicate it. I find myself thinking when I'm traveling and I see somebody in an airport, sometimes I hesitate to wonder, bring them to Christ in you know, five, 10 minutes because I think, well, I can't be there to disciple them. I'd, maybe it would be better if I didn't do that. Yet really that doesn't line up with the gospel or like Paul and Silas, they weren't thinking, well, I'm not gonna have a long-term ability to meet with him every day. Maybe I won't tell him how to be saved. Maybe I'll tell him to go to somebody that could connect with him before we do that and go that far. I'm not undermining the importance of discipleship. Those that are discipled and adopted into family are spurred on to love and good deeds. But if we would believe that the power of the gospel, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that Jesus, as we preach Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, who begins a good work, can carry it through to completion. If we would learn to trust and preach the gospel in purity, then I believe he will take care of the rest. I believe that as we connect him and as we connect people to the Holy Spirit, the one who is able to complete the work, then they will be compelled to want to find other believers. They will be compelled to want to search him out. If we tell them that, hey, Jesus, yes, he went to heaven, but his spirit is here on earth. You can talk to him. You can ask him questions. He wants to be there to help you. Then we can begin uh, to understand that as we deliver the message of the good news, that the good news, hallelujah, sets captives free and that the Holy Spirit is gonna be there to help them. I remember a story that I heard from Jackie Pullinger. Um, she was in uh, Hong Kong and she was with one of her uh, ex-drug addict um, disciples at a court case. And someone came and got her and said, look, there's another court case going on next door. The guy's about to be sentenced to death, uh, to the death penalty. But he's got a five minute um, interval. Could you come and talk to him? So she went and she just shared the basics of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. She prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, got him speaking in tongues and then didn't get to talk to him for another three years. Nobody was able to go in, have access to him. He knew nothing about the Bible except what was delivered in those five minutes, the simplicity of the gospel and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. When she finally got access to him three years later, she found that he was leading a Bible study of the people that he had led to Christ on death row. And she said, well, what are you teaching them? 
And as he explained, she was astonished. How do you know this? And the Holy Spirit had taught him. Hallelujah. I believe that we are entering into a season where we are going to see such abundant harvest. But we need to understand ourselves. What do I need to do to be saved? We need to know and have confidence in the message and the power of the gospel to bring change in order to be able to deliver it in a healthy way. I believe that it's so vital that we don't forsake the fellowshipping of the believers. I believe that we need to encourage them to be brought into family, to teach them how to live life, how to pray, how to, how to do family together, how do Christians have fun. I mean, we need each other to spur one another on to love and good deeds. I don't wanna take anything away from that. But I believe that the Father is looking for us to get a firm answer in our own hearts to the question, what must I do to be saved? That we need to get a firm answer in our own, own hearts that it is enough to believe that Jesus became sin so I could become righteousness. When we believe that, the Bible tells us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you believe you are righteous, if you believe that as he is, so are you now in this world. If you are reckoning yourself dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ, then you will begin to be naturally, supernaturally compelled to have compassion on the sick, to lay hands on them and see them recover. You'll be compelled to want to visit those that are, are being persecuted. You'll be compelled to wanna to help the hungry and the, the desperate and the lonely. It'll be something that naturally flows out of you. Instead of thinking, I need to do this to tick it off my list to make sure that I make it in, we recognize that this isn't about our works. This is about knowing who he is who I am in that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, agreeing that, hallelujah, I've been united with him, I've been joined as one to him, then because of that, this is what I do. That fruit will follow and be in keeping with the repentance, hallelujah, that this will genuinely be the outworking of my life and my doing is something that is an overflow of my believing, not an addition to in order to make sure I tap up enough brownie points to make it in. I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting us to get such clarity about this because he wants to use you as a minister of reconciliation. He wants to use you as a preacher of the gospel. Yes, thank you God, I'm getting the opportunity to stand on platforms and preach to people and tell them the good news of the gospel. That's awesome, but it's a drop in the bucket. If the believers begin to understand what the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved is, if we begin to grab a hold of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and what that really means, then we will be equipped to be able to take the good news, hallelujah, to those who desperately need it. God wants us to be able ministers. He wants us to be grabbing hold of the good news and sharing it with everyone we meet. 
Jesus would do it. He did it with the woman at the well. He didn't then have to set up a weekly program where he went back to the well and you know discipled her, though that would be ideal and wonderful. But by sharing the truth of the gospel, that seed then was able to grow and flourish and result in a whole town being saved. Hallelujah. What must I do to be saved? Or what you must do is remember who you are. Remember that when you agreed with God that I need salvation, I can't pay for my sin. The wages of sin is death. I all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all disqualified on one point or another. The law showed us that nobody was able to make it, measure up. So Jesus came to qualify us, to give us his qualification to be joined to the most holy God, God who is perfect, who is righteousness, who is altogether holy, cannot be joined to anything unholy. Light can have no fellowship with darkness. What God wanted above all else was fellowship. So he came and took away your darkness by becoming sin so you could become righteous, giving you free qualification to be in fellowship with God. That didn't just happen at the beginning when you were first saved. It is something that is continually ongoing as we remember, thank you God, that even if I sin again, I'd have blotted my copy book and now have to enter into works. But thank God, I was redeemed. I'm not identified or defined by what I've done, but I am defined and choose to reckon myself dead today. Thank you God, thanks God, that I don't have to pay for my sin. Thank you, God, that you did it. Thank you, God, as I identify it and and bring it to you. You are faithful, you are just, and you don't condemn me. You don't say, well, you're done, you're you're finished, you've gotta go to hell now. You say, thank you, he says to, to us, I became sin so you could become righteous. My goodness is better than your capacity to understand. Even if you don't feel like you deserve it, The great good news of the gospel is that he is kinder than you think you deserve. That his mercy is better than you think you deserve. That his forgiveness is better than you think you deserve. And it's that way every single day. When you wake up and you feel in your heart, oh, I don't know, you can say, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to walk by by, by feelings. I walk by faith. You know, today, I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting you to be able to have an answer to that question, what must I do to be saved? If you don't know him, then the answer is to say, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he became sin so I could become righteousness. He died so I don't have to die in my sin. He died 
and I am able to identify with his death, his burial and his resurrection. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is my savior, he is my redeemer. I speak it out, I declare, Lord, you are my savior. If you wanna do that, then I encourage you to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Reckon yourself dead today indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ because his faithfulness will carry through to completion what he begins in you. When you remember who you are and what you look like, you will live in a way that will give him glory. You will live like the one who is love because you're not someone trying to be loving as he is. So are you in this world, amen? Hallelujah. Father, we say thank you. Lord, your mercy is on you every morning. You're faithful, you're true. Now, I really believe that there's been some people here that have been struggling with this very thing. When I, when I was a teenager, you know, I, I found the Lord in worship. Hooray, there you are. I cried out, I said, Lord, I can't see you, I don't know you. Help, very hard to worship someone I can't see and I don't know. I said help, and then, whoa, he just made himself real, that was it. Saved. I knew him, I saw him, I knew who he was. In my spirit, in my heart, my eyes were enlightened. I found you. But you know, when an evangelist would come through, I'd still go forward to get saved again. I think I got saved like three or four times. Because I just wanted to make sure. You know, just make sure. So I think I did listen to some secular music or something, you know. Uh, I was all, there was always just that little bit of concern. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? That comes because we haven't had an understanding of the good news of the gospel. That it, it's great, it demonstrates a soft heart and I don't judge anybody who does that. Come as many times as you need to until you get an assurance that thank God, hallelujah, I am identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. I think that's wonderful. But you know, it's not a healthy thing for us to live with that mentality throughout our lives. Whereas I'm not sure, I just wanna make sure. You know, if you were suddenly in a plane that lost all its engines and you were going down, would you like be going, saying the sinner's prayer again just in case? a theological point, but I want people, I want to see a body that is so confident in their salvation that they're not just living as people who are hoping that it's okay, but living with a holy confidence that as he is, so am I in this world. And not only am I okay, but I have such good news that I want to give it to everybody I meet. That I have found the key to freedom and salvation. Hallelujah. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Simple. Powerful. Father, we say thank you. You know, the simplicity of that gospel message is summed up in Isaiah in the, the message of the atonement. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. It's clear. Bang, there it is. He took my beating for my sin. He was punished for my sin so I don't have to punish myself. So I don't have to be punished. Hallelujah. You don't have to put yourself in the naughty corner for the next two weeks. You don't have to consider yourself disqualified because you did something wrong. You have to humble yourself and believe that he's better than you feel you deserve. Thank you, God. He was bruised for our iniquities, that is our crookedness, in that you took away my crookedness. So I'm no longer defined as crooked. I'm no longer defined by sin. My very identity, my nature, my DNA is being changed. Hallelujah. It takes faith to believe that because the enemy, your emotions, they'll all rage against it to try to make you believe that you should live in condemnation that somehow that's the way to go. But the Bible tells us that if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive. Hallelujah. He was chastised for our peace, which means any stress or anxiety that you feel like you're going through, you just need to remember Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's not who I am. Oh, I don't have to be stressed. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be worried. Oh, you became peace, so I, I could have peace. That peace would actually be part of my very DNA. And I'm not trying to have peace, but you've actually already given it to me. I have peace. Oh, I can live in supernatural peace. You see, it, it simply makes... What's needed is for us to remember what's happened in salvation. And by his stripes we're healed. It's that easy. It's not like, you know, when we, when we grab a hold of this simplicity, it takes effect across the board. All the theories of what you need to do to be healed, the same question, what must I do to be healed, gets asked so often. What must I do to be healed? Well, okay, I've got to uh, um, you know, make sure I've done this and make sure I've closed all those doors and make sure I've you know, done, dealt with all the generational curses and make sure I've done this and make sure... You know, there's a whole list of things that we come up with, of hurdles that people should jump over before they get healed. Yet I believe the answer to what must I do to be healed is the same answer to what must I do to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he became sickness so I could be healed. By his stripes, I am healed. Surely he has borne it for me. Hallelujah. So I don't have to have it. Hallelujah. I've determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And every time my mind wants to go down the track of, well, you know, let's add to this. I have to go, thank you, Jesus. No, you are greater than my heart. You are greater than, than all my thinking. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher. I'm gonna come back to the simplicity of Christ. Christ and him crucified. You're the answer to everything. You're the answer to my peace. You're the answer to my righteousness. You're the answer to holiness. You're the answer to, to healing, hallelujah. You're the answer to my, uh, my ability to be able to do what you've asked me to do. You are the miracle worker. You step into a freedom that becomes childlike and glorious.
That's why it says that you need to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of God. Because little children aren't as prone to overcomplicating things as we are. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Holy Spirit, help. <laughs> wow. Thank you for your help right now, Daddy. We say thank you. I just really do sense the power of the Holy Spirit beginning to move and, and touch bodies and bring healing right now. It's glorious. So just begin to take it. Just begin to enjoy it. Receive and say thank you. Thank you, God. I'll lay hold of that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Hallelujah. He's already made a way. Made a way. Hallelujah. You don't have to be ashamed if you're sick. The enemy hates you. He gives it a go. God says, I'm here to be your deliverer. Instead of going, well, what have I done? Why, what door have I opened? Why have I become sick? You go, no, maybe it's just that I'm righteous. <laughs> Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Hallelujah. So I don't have to live as the sick who's glorifying God in my sickness. I'm the righteous that's being afflicted and God's already made a way of escape for me. So I'm gonna grab a hold of it and say, thank you, Lord, for deliverance. Thank you, Lord, for healing. I receive it, it's my inheritance, hallelujah. I won't forget the benefits of God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all my sin, who heals all my diseases, hallelujah. But before we, we go, I, I just, oh. I can feel him moving. I'm gonna ask uh, Sarah and Daniel, come and help me, and Meg. This is gonna be fun, hallelujah. We'll pray for some people. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.